My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. You can turn in your Bibles to to Luke chapter 4 this morning. That's where we're going to be looking. If you want to follow along with us in Scripture, Luke chapter 4. Last week, we began looking at the idea of, of this, this idea of us being prodigals, uh, us being a people that, that needs to come home, that needs to find our way back home. We, we began looking at this moment in the life of, of the prodigal son, this moment in this, the life of this boy or this man in this story that Jesus told, tells. And there's this moment where, where he wakes up in the mud. He wakes up in in the mud that his life has created, and he has this moment of clarity. Jesus will say, the the words that Jesus will say is that he will come to his senses. He's made a mess of his life. He's made a mess of everything. But he has this moment where he comes to his senses, and he decides to go back home. He decides to go back to, to dad, back to the life he knew. And and it's a challenge for us in our lives that that we need to be able to see in our lives the times, the places, the situations in our lives where we need to head back home. We need to to look at this in the context of our lives now. and What does it mean for us to come back to our Father in, in, in our lives, in places, in times, in mindsets, or maybe in life altogether where we've walked away from him? When we've left his purpose and direction for our lives and found ourselves in the mud of the pig pen. What does it look like for us to get up and go back home? And today what I want to do is, is we're only going to do this for one day or one week really, just this week. But I want to focus on the mud. I want to focus on our mud. I want to focus on, on what it looks like in our lives to be covered in the mud of sin and in the mud of this world and what maybe that looks like for you and maybe for us to discover some areas in our life that we do really actually need to come back home to our Father. Now we're not going to look at the story of, of the, the prodigal son. Like I said, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And Jesus reads this passage of scripture that, that hopefully will give us hope, but it will also provide some insight into what it looks like for us to be found in the mud. In Luke chapter 16, or Luke chapter, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. When he came, oh, oh, we already read that. He went to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now, out of this, there are two main themes that I want for us to focus on as we try and understand what it can mean for us to be stuck in the mud. Two themes that I want to highlight for you. The first one comes from when, when, he, when Jesus says, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, what we need to know, what you need to know, what, what we need to understand about this is that Jesus isn't speaking to just people who have no money. That when Jesus says, I've come to give good news to the poor, that it's not just income level that he's talking about. The word that's used doesn't actually even imply income level at all. It, It means poor in spirit. It means spiritually poor. The good news is not just that poor people without any money, it's going to be okay. Jesus isn't just talking about money here. He's talking about people who are broken. Broken spirits. Broken hearts. People who have been broken. And the second theme is from when Jesus says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Again, it's not just the people who are in jail. It's not that Jesus has just come to to throw open the jails and let all the prisoners go free. That that's not his mission. That's not simply why he came was to take the people who are in jail, rightly or wrongly, and set them free. It's not that narrow. It's the understanding of, of people that are bound. People who are in bondage. People who are not free. Not necessarily jail or not. But people who are not free in their lives. And these are the two themes that we're going to look at today. The mud that we find ourselves in. Our brokenness and our bondage. See, sometimes we can have the same sense that the prodigal son had. He thought that once he got this money from his dad. Once he got his inheritance. Everything would be fine. That if I could just get this, my hands on this money, the rest of my life will be a cakewalk. It won't be a problem. And so he decided that's what I need to do. He's going to skip through life, skip through the rest of his life. It's going to be great. But his skipping through life led him to a pig pen. And sometimes when we accept Jesus as Lord, we can have these same ideas. This idea that I've got Jesus in my life. Everything's going to be great. I'm going to be great. Nothing's going to hurt. Nothing's going to be a problem. I'm made in the shade. It's all smooth sailing from here. No more mud for me. No more bad. But that way of thinking can can actually be dangerous and lead us into even darker places. See, Scripture will say, guard your heart. But sometimes we can make a decision, like, I don't need to do that. Jesus lives there. Everything's going to be fine. But there's this amazing picture in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, where Jesus begins by asking the disciples, who do you think I am? Who who do people think I am? Who do you think that I am? And, And the disciple Peter, actually at this point right now, his name's still Simon, but the disciple Simon Peter stands up and he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And and it's this incredible moment where Jesus gives him this strong, like, um, it's not, commendation. I wanted to say condemnation, but it wasn't that. It was a commendation. And he says to him, the Holy Spirit is the one who showed this to you. The Holy Spirit is at work inside of you right now. And he says, and right now, this moment, Simon, your name's not even Simon anymore. Your name's Peter. Because Peter means rock. 
And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Talk about an amazing moment where as Peter, you recognize who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is speaking through you and Jesus is changing your name and saying, you're going to be the rock on whom I'm going to build my church. And it lasts for two verses. Because after that, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I'm going to have to suffer, and then I'm going to have to die. But Peter, he's been just told by Jesus, you're the rock, you're the guy. And for Peter, it's all good. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and decides he's going to correct him. He pulls Jesus aside to say, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to allow that to take place. See, I'm the rock. I'm Peter. And I've got it all together. You just told me that I could hear the Holy Spirit work through me. And so the Holy Spirit right now is telling me to tell you, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And Jesus looks him in the eye and says to him, get behind me, Satan. Whew. Fall from grace. Top of the mountain, bottom of the valley. In two verses. All that to say, even when we're in the best places with Jesus, it only takes a moment. It only takes a second for us to take our eyes off the ball, to lose focus, and to be thrown right back into the mud. And I would contend with us today that most, if not all, of our mud comes down to two things, brokenness and bondage. And Jesus wants to deal with those things in your life. There's a promise in the book of Philippians chapter 1 that says being confident, not just hopeful, Not just dreaming, not just fingers crossed, here we go, let's see what happens. Being confident, being bold, believing this to be true, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God's not going to leave you half done. God is going to be faithful. No matter how much mud we find ourselves in, he's going to be faithful to see us out of it. And so I want to look at what brokenness looks like in our lives and what bondage looks like in our lives. So first, brokenness. Here's the thing. I think we're more broken than we want to admit. I think we're more broken than we want people to know. I think we have parts of us that are more broken than maybe we are even aware of. Jesus said his ministry, his mission was to come and bring the good news to the poor in spirit, to the brokenhearted, to broken people. But he knows that we have brokenness and pain. Your heart may be shattered into a million pieces, but Jesus said that he came to heal the broken hearts. There's an old nursery rhyme that says Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And that's because the king's men can't do the job of the king. 
Only the king can put us back together again. And Jesus says, I have come to put you back together again. Proverbs 15, 13 tells us this about a broken heart. It says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Your heart determines so much about about you. Our hearts determine so much about us. A heartache will crush your spirit. When our heart is broken, it affects us so much. And this is why God put such an emphasis on fixing our brokenness. In Psalms, it tells us this about God. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Now you may say, I got saved when I was like eight years old. I've lived my life in God. You may say, I have served God for years and years. You may say, I've been a leader in the church. I read my Bible. I look the part. That does not mean that there are not parts of us that are broken. And this isn't a condemnation of being broken. It's the reality of our humanness. We're not complete. We're not perfect. We're not all together. And it's a message of hope. Because Jesus has come to heal our brokenness. Jesus says, I've come to heal your brokenness. Sometimes we can be so hesitant to the idea that we're broken. And we're so hesitant to acknowledge that we need Jesus that we sometimes push him away and we hold on to our brokenness and we live in our brokenness because we don't even want to admit it's there. It's like if we called a plumber to come and fix plumbing in our house, but when they got there, they decided we were too ashamed. And the plumber comes and says, I'm here to fix your broken plumbing. And our, 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 our ashamedness takes over and we say, we don't got no broken plumbing. What are you talking about? We're better than that. We're not broken plumbing people. I've had good plumbing my entire life. What on earth makes you think now I need plumbing help? And we don't let the plumber in. And we have a backed up toilet that doesn't work and it's going to be like that until we get somebody to fix it. But sometimes in our life we decide I don't need Jesus to work in me. I don't need him to fix my brokenness because I don't want to admit it's there. There are people, there are things that promise to be able to heal your brokenness. There are purchases, there are trips, there are relationships, there are adventures that we have been promised that we thought this could heal my brokenness. But nothing can put you back together other than the king. And God says, you don't have to live in that brokenness. You don't have to live in that pain. God says through Jesus here, I sent my son specifically to heal broken hearts. And so it's not a weakness for us to say, okay, Jesus, I need you to heal my broken heart. Because Jesus said, well, good, that's why I'm here. The plumber's not caught off guard when we say we got a problem with our plumbing. They don't say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not here to deal with a toilet that doesn't work. The plumbers come to deal with the issue. Jesus says, I've come to deal with this issue. All we got to do is let them in. You don't have to stay broken. And the second thing is you don't have to stay bound. 
what does it mean to be bound? What, what does it mean to be free? Like truly free in Christ. Free to dance, free to sing, free to love people, free to forgive, free to give, free to compliment, free to encourage, free to extend grace. Jesus said, I came to set the oppressed free. I came to set the captives free. God does not want you to be oppressed. He doesn't want you to be held captive by anything. He doesn't want you to be locked up or held down by anything in your life that robs you of everything God has for you. Some of us have been bound by things our whole lives. Some of us have been bound since we were teenagers. Some of us have been exposed to things since before we were able to handle them. We've been bound to addictions. We've been bound to things, to attitudes, to ways of seeing the world, to thinking patterns. And God says for your life, no more. Jesus came to heal your brokenness and Jesus came to set you free. So what is bondage or what can bondage look like in your life? What can it look like to be held captive by something? See, sometimes I think we can think we're not in bondage because we don't see it as dramatic as we think it should be with a word like bondage. We look at our lives and we say, I'm not bound by anything. Do you know? That's a big sounding word. That's a, like a cataclysmic kind of word. That's a, that's a big word, bondage. My life isn't like that. If I was bound to something, I would know it. Nothing in my life is as serious as that. It's not bondage. And so what I want to do to close out our time together here is I just want to give you a few ideas of what bondage could look like. And maybe it will resonate with you directly or, or maybe it'll take you down a road to find something. First, how about comfort blanket bondage? Each of our kids as they grew up had their most favorite blankets in the world. Owens was a green blanket. He called it his green blankie. Heidi was her pink blanket that, that, she, that Yvonne made for her and it meant the world to her and it's gone everywhere with her. Theo's is his polka dotted blanket. It was their comfort blanket. They needed it to be comfortable. We learned this when Heidi lost her blanket in Ikea and it was the longest week of our lives. Because she wouldn't sleep. She couldn't be happy. She couldn't deal with life without her blanket. And so we had to go back to Ikea because they couldn't find it. We searched through drawers in all the set up bedrooms. And we found it in a drawer in a bedroom that had been sitting there for a week. This thing, it's, it's just for comfort. It's just to comfort me. It's just so I can relax. It's just so I can sleep. It's just so I can cope with life. It's just so I can handle my issues. It's just so that I can wake up in the morning. It's just comfort for me. It's not bad. It's not evil. But comfort blanket bondage is when we should be turning to God, but we turn to our comfort blanket. We need God to make us whole but we would rather feel better from our comfort blanket. The next one, how about embarrassing bondage? Some of us have bondages that we're, we're embarrassed and we don't want anyone to know about them. I sneak this. 
I don't want anybody to know I dabble in this. It's something, it's, it's embarrassing for us. But its embarrassment becomes its reason for existing. It's embarrassing that I'm addicted to social media. It's embarrassing that I drink this much alcohol. It's embarrassing that I look at these things on the internet. It's embarrassing that I keep DMing that person like this. But it's even more embarrassing if I had to admit that these things were true. So I'm just going to try and hide it. Rather than allow God to deal with it. Because I don't want to even admit its existence. It's embarrassing for me to say this is something in my life. I'm not talking to anybody about that. I don't want anyone to know because I'm embarrassed that I'm bound to this. And so our embarrassment actually keeps us bound. Because we don't want to talk to God about it. That's embarrassing. How about this? Number three. How about irritating bondage? Some of us have bondage in our life that makes us angry. I'm so mad that I got back into that. I'm so ashamed that I'm still dealing with this. I, you cannot believe it, but you cannot stop. And it makes us mad. Because we should be better than this. We should be stronger than this. I should be able to not struggle like that. And it's irritating. And it makes us mad. Because we should be able to stop this thing. We should be able to beat this thing. I should be able to be free of this. And it makes us mad. It makes us a mad person. And we get mad at everybody else. Because we're mad at ourselves and we're mad at our bondage. But we don't come to God for help. Because I don't need help. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm able to do this on my own. And our stubbornness, our self-reliance keeps us bound because we're so mad at this thing that we want to beat it. But in our desire to beat it, we make the choice to lose. Because it's the power of Jesus that sets us free. Scripture will say, whom the Son sets free, not... Who is able to, he who is able to free himself. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Number four. Can't get rid of them bondage. Sometimes the bondage in our life looks like people. Can't get rid of them. I don't have the power to stop letting this person have influence in my life. I've tried to separate myself. See... Some of us today might need to delete a contact in your phone that's messing with your freedom. It represents a past you. It represents a hurt you. It represents an addicted you. It represents an unfaithful you. It's someone that is symbolic of something in your life that's holding you back. And by holding on to them, you're holding on to your bondage. It's somebody that represents something that happened. Something that was at work in your life. Something negative, but we hold on to it because we're just not quite sure we're able or we're ready to move on. Number five, it's not that we can't get rid of them. It's that we don't want to get rid of them people bondage. Don't want to get rid of them bondage. These are people in your life that will support you no matter what. Now that sounds good. 
I want people in my life that will support me no matter what. But these are people that no matter what foolish thing you say or do, they look at you and say, you know, you're right. No matter how wrong we may be, they're right there with you telling you you're right. And instead of helping us grow and change and become better people, become better followers of Christ, we end up staying in our bondage and brokenness because these people tell us it's not there. It's not you. It's them. You're right. They're wrong. You don't need to change. You're great. Your negativity, it's right. Your anger is right. Your judgmentalism on them, it's right. And God is coming to us and saying, hey, hey we need to talk. We need to talk about some things that are going on in your life. But our, our don't want to get rid of them people are saying, you don't need to talk to God about that. You're right. Your, your, your attitude is right. God doesn't need to change that. You probably got that from God. You're right. We like having them around because it sure makes us feel good. But they stop us, or they, they make us feel like we don't need anything, that we're good. But it can stop us from seeing the fact that we're actually in bondage. Last one. How about dysfunctional bondage? Some of us just grew up in so much, so much dysfunction, a dysfunctional home, dysfunctional parents, that you feel like you maybe don't know how to function correctly. And it's a bondage because it's the, that's the way you are. That's the way you act. That's the way you react. That's the way you treat people. That's the way you talk to people. That's the way you handle conflict. And we take on these things, and they're just the way that we are because it's how I was raised. But it's bondage. It's brokenness. God doesn't just look at who we are and say, well, I guess that's who they are then. God wants to pull us up out of our mud, out of our dysfunction, out of that's just who I am, out of all of that, and see us free. See, bondage doesn't always look like how we think it should look. It's just a comfort blanket. That's all it is. It's not bondage. It's just comforting. They make me feel good. You don't have to be embarrassed. You shouldn't, you don't, it's too embarrassing to deal with. Do you really need help? You're, you're stronger than that. You see, the enemy doesn't ever want us to see our bondage as bondage. He wants to minimize it. Wants us to be able in our lives to look at whatever's holding us in bondage and go, it's not a big deal. Here's all the reasons why it's actually good. To make it look like it's so much less than it is. But bondage only leads to death. Even the bondage that the enemy works to minimize in our lives, it can destroy you. Destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy you. And the more broken you remain, the more bound you will become. Now, now, some of us, some of you, some of us may be thinking, and some of you may have a voice inside of you right now that's saying to you, come on, it's not that bad. 
It's not that big of a deal. It's just a comfort blanket. It's just them. It's just my friends. It's not that bad. But Ephesians 4.27 tells us, do not give the devil a foothold. And in the minute we start to minimize our bondage, the minute we start to minimize the stuff in our life that's holding us captive, we give him a foothold. And his foothold, before you know it, has turned into a stronghold. Social media, a relationship, a bottle, a pill. Don't give the enemy a foothold because it will become a stronghold. And I would contend that many of us have allowed the devil to get some footholds in our lives. We just don't want to see it. We just don't see it or maybe we don't want to see it. But Jesus, in this moment that we began with, he stands up in the temple and he reads and he lets us know that he's come to heal our brokenness and he's come to set us free from bondage. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what mud you found yourself in right now. I don't know how you're broken. I don't know where you're in bondage. But I do know that Jesus came to heal you and Jesus came to set you free. I can heal your brokenheartedness. I can heal you from your bondage is what Jesus declares. God wants to set you free. Free to be who you're called to be. Free to do what you're called to do. Free to love. Free to laugh. Free to enjoy. Free to sleep. Free to be generous. I want to close with just one last verse to to put a button on this mud for us. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. There is nothing too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. God, nothing is too hard for you. I want to invite you right now to just speak those words. Just just speak those words. Declare those words in your home, in your bedroom, here in the church. Just let those words fall out of your mouth. Nothing is too hard for you. Maybe even type it out in the chat if that's what you want to do. But say those words. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you, God. My brokenness is not too hard for you. My addictions are not too hard for you. My bondage is not too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that as we read passages like this, as we see these moments in your life like this, God, we're reminded again and again that we don't need to come to you in guilt or shame. We don't need to come to you in fear or worry. That we don't come to you with you having an expectation that we're all perfect children. But God, I thank you that as we read a passage where you say, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to bind up your wounds. I've come to set the prisoners free. God, I thank you 
that as we read that, you, it, it speaks to us and lets us know it's okay if we're brokenhearted. It's okay if we're, we're bound. It's okay if we're not perfect. It's okay if we're not right. Because that's why you came, was to take all of these not right people and set them right. And so God, I pray for each one of us today. God, may our eyes be able to be opened to the places in our lives where we need you. May we not stand at the door of our heart as you're knocking to come in and us say, no, we're good, thanks. There's nothing in here that needs you. But may we be able to see that, oh, Jesus, we need you. Oh, Jesus, we need you in our lives. Oh, Jesus, we need your touch. Oh, Jesus, we need you to change us. And God, may we not minimize the places where the devil's found a foothold in our lives. May we not minimize the bondage in our life. May we not play it down. May we not give the devil any place in our life to find a foothold. Because we, God, we don't want a foothold, never mind a stronghold. And so God, I pray for each one of us right now that you would open our eyes to the areas in our lives where we've maybe allowed ourselves to become in bondage where we maybe have allowed ourselves to, to somehow discover your, discover compromise, where we've allowed ourselves to somehow discover a place where we're not connecting the way that we should. And God, my prayer for each one of us right now is not that we would feel ashamed, not that we would somehow feel distant, not that we would somehow feel embarrassed or irritated or whatever it might be, and that we would push back against coming to you. But God, I pray that we would be able to come to you just like the son in the story of the prodigal son when it said he came to his senses. God, may we come to our senses today. May we come to our senses in our lives to be able to see where we've fallen down, where we've fallen apart. May we come to our senses today. And may we discover, just like the prodigal son, that as we come home to dad, that dad welcomes us home. That he loves us, that he cares for us, and he has a new destiny and a new future for us. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we just pray now, today, may you be at work in us and through us. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, HillsideAirdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go.
The D. De- 